against the Rhodes pod. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Against the Ropes podcast number 95. Gio Garcia here alongside Christian Mosqueda. What day is today? Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Man. Bringing you another special episode. Yeah, and we have none other than renowned boxing and MMA cup man. He's worked with the Klitschko brothers to Tyson Fury to Adonis Creed, Mr. <laughs> yes, Jacob sir. Stitch Duran. Sir, welcome to the show, Mr. Stitch. Hello there. <laughs> All right, thanks for having me on, man. Now, thank you for taking the time. Uh, we know you're very busy, especially like these, yeah. these, these weeks. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, you know, us mere mortals. Uh, you're very well known. You are the face of, of Cut Man everywhere. Legend. So, yeah, thank you for taking the time to, to join us. Yeah, well, I'm a mere mortal also, bro. <laughs> just, good, just good at what I do, yeah. man. Good at, good at just stitching people up. Yeah. 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 Man, what's up? Uh, how'd you get the nickname Stitch? Because we were talking about it a little before the show. Everybody yeah. just you know, calls funny. you Stitch, right? Yeah. And you know you're a legend yeah. when they call you by one name. Yeah. You know, like Kobe, Shaq. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Magic, Stitch. It, it, it started a while back when I had my school of kickboxing. Uh, when I was in Fairfield, California, I used to work with uh, Dennis Alexia at that time with the ISKA. Uh, light heavyweight, heavyweight champ of the world. Great, great athlete, great kickboxer. His sparring partner was a guy named Dave Rooney. And uh, when Dennis fought at the Vallejo Fairgrounds, Dave Rooney was in the undercard. And I worked his corner, and I ended up with a cut, and, and I got some tape, and, you know, I watched the other cut, man. Uh, I got some tape, and I made little butterflies, and I closed up the cut. And, and he says, you stay, save me some stitches, I'm going to call you Stitch. And uh, the name stuck ever since, and you know, Dave Rooney, I, last time I heard is that he was a fisherman somewhere in Alaska. But uh, I don't even know if he knows that uh, how how he changed my life. You know, like I say, it's a it's a one name uh, type of thing. And people know who I am just by that one name. Kind of became a brand more so than anything. Became, right? Well, becoming a brand was intentional. Yeah. I'll let you know that. <laughs> nice. So we know you're busy. You're in the bubble. Uh you, you you covered some some fights yesterday uh, and then two days before. T- tell us a little bit about that experience being in there. Tell us like the day to day how how it's been. Yeah, it's a uh, it's an experience, brother. It's uh, you know we've all seen the movie uh, Shawshank Redemption, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this this Shawshank this is the boxing version of Shawshank Redemption for Mike Basil and myself, the two cutmen yeah. that Top Rank brought in uh, because it's we're literally on lockdown. Mm-hmm. You know, you or at least I check in Sunday night 
uh, I get tested and I go straight to my room and I can't leave my room until the next morning. Uh, if, if I don't get a phone call, then, then I'm cleared. If I get a phone call, then that's, that's a negative. So you never want to get that phone call. Mm. Uh, but, but the next day, you know, uh, we go down to breakfast and we got security in the hallways. We're on the 12th floor of, of the MGM. Uh, we're literally away from all the public. Uh, the only ones on that 12th floor are the people involved in the boxing, the ESPN people, the top-ranked people, the fighters. Uh, but they got security. They had three or four security guys standing at the lobby by the airport, uh, by the elevators. And whenever we go to the convention center where all the action is at, uh, uh, we have to be escorted up there by by the security guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, they'll take us downstairs through the employee elevator and They'll take us to the van, and the van takes us to the convention center, and okay. there we got to get scanned in, and and uh, we have breakfast, lunch, and dinner there. Okay. You you go back to your room. You got the weigh-ins there. You go to the weigh-ins. You go back to your room. Okay. Uh, you got the fights. You got the fights. You finish. You go back to your room. Okay. Uh, but Thursday night is is the final. Uh, I came home last night, uh, so I'm home today, tomorrow, and then I'll check in again Sunday night and. Uh, it's, there are 11 shows, 11 more shows altogether, 13 all, all together. Uh, but we got 11 more, so I'll be doing this for another month, five, six weeks. Wow. Collecting that paycheck, huh? And that's number <laughs> one, bro. <You> know, <laughs> let me explain. Uh, Brad Jacobs, the CEO of uh, Top Rank, called me. And uh, he explained the program to me. And, of course, I was interested in that. Uh, yeah, of course, you know, the money, because we all had that two-month, uh, three month kind of dead time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but fortunate enough, I worked a lot of big fights to kind of help me. I got a, a residual check from Creed, you know, so I was okay nice. financially. Okay. But none, nonetheless, you always got to build up your uh, your bank account. So when I got the call and and I gave them my fees and they accepted, and thirteen shows times whatever I I asked for, it's not a bad payday. Plus, it keeps me in the mix of what's going on, and 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 even more importantly. Uh, you know, this is the blueprint for the way boxing is going to be uh, from now till this pandemic ends. So I'm just I'm glad to be part of this history uh, with the people from Top Rank and and Mike Basil and and uh, so I'm real excited about that. We just brought in the third cut man, uh, Bob Ware, uh, okay. that is the cut man for Floyd Mayweather. Because uh, yeah. what happened is on the first night. Uh, they have like five fights, mm-hmm. but Shakir Stevenson and Jared Anderson uh, are guys that I rap before and I work before with them. So I always work with them. But once the fight starts, I got to be at ringside. And these guys come in after the fight started and I couldn't leave my spot to go wrap their hands. So wow. uh, in doing that, Top Rank brought in the third guy to kind of be a rover. So that's life in the bubble, man. You know, but uh, we're all doing the same thing. We're all doing it for a good cause. And and uh, it's part of history, and you know I'm glad to be part of it. Nice. Let me ask you this: Did you hesitate a little, given the circumstances, when when you received that call, that uh, that invitation, in a way of working there at, for ESPN and Top Rank in Las Vegas? That's a good question, man, and nobody's asked that yet. But uh, yeah, of course, you know, whenever you're dealing with a program like this, COVID nineteen. Uh, then that's always in the back of your head, you know, and especially at my age, you know, I'm 68 years old. Uh, you know, these, this is the age group that's, that's vulnerable, but it, it all started. And that's why I guess I have to be apprehensive because I was in New York 
Mm. Uh, Sh- Shakir Stevenson was going to. That was March the 12th I got there. He was going to yeah. fight mm-hmm. on the 14th at the Garden. And, and we get there and they say, well, the fights are still on, but uh, there's going to be no audience. I said, all right, well, cool. You know, payday's a payday. And yeah. Friday morning, oh, it says the fight's been scratched. And uh, so I had to fly out. But I got to see the, the, the strain on these people in New York just walking around the streets in Manhattan. They all looked just burned out because of the mental uh, thing of what was going on. Nobody knew what was going on. So when I got the call, yeah, when, when he explained to me the safety factors on how everything is, is being done and how they, what they call the bubble, where yeah. we're all just isolated in one location, then it works out okay for me. And then uh, I get tested on Sunday and then I get tested again on Wednesday. But, you know, these tests, let them come because at least I know I'm, I'm cleared. Uh, and when I come home, like today with my wife, then I know that, you know, we could do things together. But uh, and the same token, if I go out, like I have to go shopping, grocery shopping, I have to be careful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but wear your mask everywhere you go, guys. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, you, um, you mentioned that this is a blueprint. Um, there's obviously no way of yep. knowing when, when boxing and the fans will come back. But how, what do you think is the, the, the time frame um, when they will go back to normality, if, if at all? Yeah, I, that's a good question, man. It's it, It'd be at least six months, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this continued up till the start of the new year. Mm-hmm. You know, this this uh, interview I did uh, this morning with OSB University, uh, Amir Abdallah is the one that hooked me up, and they're at Big Bear. Uh, mm-hmm. Badu Jack and Triple G are in Big Bear getting ready. Uh, well, they're, they're in training now. So I asked them, because I work with both of them, is are there any dates available for these guys? And there's no dates say yeah but once again that's why these promoters right now it's not so much of getting fights booked it's more of how they're going to handle it uh so that everybody could be uh covid free so like i say you know being part of this is the whole world's going to look at it the whole boxing uh, combat sport industry is going to be looking at the way we're putting things together and uh we're doing it the right way nice um so the process of actually choosing which corner you're going to be in, is that at yeah. random? Yeah, let me tell you how that goes. Hmm. All right, so <clears throat> Mike Basil and myself, we're kind of like the house fighters that Top Rank brought in. And the reason they brought us in is because uh, you can't have a, a volume of people, so yeah. each fighter is entitled to bring two trainers. Hmm. And usually it's the two trainers. And so if they don't have a cut, man, that we're available. So the, they're, and they're playing it off, you know, as part of the marketing program. Uh, we'll be on stage. They'll introduce us. We'll get off the stage. And once the fighters get uh, on the scale and they weigh themselves, then they flip a coin to see who's the one that's going to draw the envelope. So they got an yeah. envelope that has my name and Mike Basil's, kind of like the Academy Awards. Yeah. Uh, so they'll pick one and whoever uh, they... I think in one fight you work in, in that gentleman's corner. Yeah, well, I think that was an excuse that they used. That's just my stitch, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that was, uh, you know, and uh, that was an excuse that they used. They said, but, you know, nomás hablos, hablamos puro español. It's okay, pues, let them know. You know, let them know that uh, you prefer me. But, yeah, you know, bottom line is we're here to protect these guys yeah. and take care of them. And uh, like Shakir Stevenson and, and um, uh, Jared Anderson, I had worked with them before. So the guys I've worked with before, is automatically they're mine. And uh, I know Joe Smith is fighting, I think, 
July the 16th or the 14th or something like that. So I'm automatically going to be working with him. Okay. And then I think there's guys like uh, Jesse Magdaleno who, who uh, Capetillo served as both cutman and, and cornerman, right? Is that correct? Yeah. It's, yeah. In fact, even uh, last night, Gabe Flores, you know, yeah. and I've worked with many fights with Gabe Flores, uh, but, you know, poor guy, him and his dad, they're good, good people, man, from Stockton. Good people. I really love working with them. Uh, but they made, they moved to Las Vegas to improve, mm. you know, to take that next step. And as soon as they moved, this this pandemic kicked in, so they had to be on lockdown. But they ended up starting to train with Capetillo. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> the offer that we have uh, of working with them, but they said, no, you know what, we've been working with Capetillo for the last two months. We're going to use him, which is fine with us, you know, because we're, we're neutral for the most part. And and it's kind of really the same system that uh, we set up when I was with the UFC. Uh, you know, Burt Watson, myself, Don House, we literally set this program up together where, you know, we get to work, wrap the fighters' hands if they need them and work their corners. So nice. for us, it's not new. Nice. Chris, I think you had a, a yeah, question yeah. about that neutrality, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I had a question. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're uh, you know, you've been in there with with world champions. Uh, you have the experience. These fights, some of these uh, these young men, their teams. This is the first time that they're on on a on a national stage, and maybe yeah. something. And they're probably lacking experience. Do do you guys ever talk? Do they ever ask you for for advice or like in the heat of the moment? Do you? I know your your job is just to be a, a neutral cut man, but do you ever you know say something to to the coach's ear? To, to man try to win the fight for the for the fighter yeah well you know it's a good question man and uh but yeah my job is a as a cut man jo any job as a cut man is to basically do his job and, mm -hmm. and let the let the coaches do the coaching mm -hmm. uh but you know when like say when whenever i meet this guy once they get off the scale and and they i know which fighter is going to be mine uh, i'll go talk to him and the coaches okay. and and i'll get some you know pertinent details of you know uh i'll be working your corner and uh, you know, are you going to, the coach, are you going to wrap his hands or do you want me to wrap? You know, a lot of times coaches, they wrap their hands, but they say, oh, Stitch, man, we got you. Crazy yeah. not to have you wrap hands. Yeah. So you know, yeah. I got to go and do that, you know. Uh, but then I also tell them, I said, look, here's the way I work best is if I could work on the right side of the ring mm. uh, and then just give me his face. You guys take everything else. Uh, but during those fights, normally my job is not to give instructions, but mm -hmm. I'll I'll throw in a little motivational every once in a while, uh, one or two words, and that's it. You know, nice. just uh, uh, just to, to get to get focused and let them know that we're there to take care of them. Nice. Now you were um, you were in Blue Nose Lopez corner, Adam Lopez, uh, last week, I believe. You were in his corner, yes. and he he was able to win that fight against Louis Coria. Close fight. Yeah. Uh, his eyes were were swelling shut. Like, yeah. Um, how did you see that in the corner? Because he, he was winning the fight, but um, was there any concern about the, the, the eyes swelling shut at any point? No, nah, yeah, that's a good question. Man, you guys are pretty good at what you guys do, man. You know, so, <laughs> hey, man, thanks uh, a lot. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate these questions because, you know, you just, you normally answer the, the, the main ones, you know. Mm -hmm. It's the biggest cut you've ever seen and so <laughs> yeah. and so. But, uh, no, in, in that situation, that's a good point. And let me explain to you this. Swelling is a bitch, man. Whenever you work mm -hmm. with swelling, there's, there's really no guarantee of anything. But you look at the type of swelling where it's at, and then you can see the progression, right? But the type of swelling that uh, Adam had where it wasn't going to blow up. And and some guys, you know, you'll tenderize the tissue and they'll blow their nose and 
it'll come like that. But uh, yeah, it was slowly but surely they were swelling, but it wasn't going to be to the point where uh, his eyes were going to close. Uh, so I was, and it was, I think, a six rounder. So, you know, up around the fourth round, I knew at that point it wasn't get, get no worse than, than what it was then. And at that point, it wasn't affecting him. But I remember you know, after the fights, we're taking the gloves on. And he said, man, my cheeks hurt. You know, my face hurts. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, those are some of the things that I get to experience one-on-one with these guys. But uh, he did good, man. You know, and, and a good family, good kids. You know, all these young guys, uh, for me, because, you know, you're right, Chris. You know, I, I a majority of the fights that I work are 10 rounds or championship fights. Mm-hmm. And they're usually with high-end uh, weight division guys higher up uh but now it's nice to see all these young latinos you know chicanos yeah. puerto ricans dominicans mm-hmm. guy from honduras yeah. uh just young generation of boxers that are coming up with two three four fights uh and you know for me just to be uh working with them and if i could be instrumental in helping them with a career then you know they you know guys are saying oh man it's, it's, it's an honor to have you work with us and can we take a picture and all that and <laughs> i know it means a lot to them you know and, and it means a lot to me just to see the young generation uh, having a chance to uh, to do some fights. Nice. Have, um, has any of these young men um, asked you for some word of advice? I mean, you're, they might not see you again because you're going to be, you're on the big stage and this might be the, the only chance. Um, what are, what are some ad- advice, if any, that you've given some of these young men? Yeah, of course, you know, it's, uh, you know, when we talk, we, uh, I, I need to get to know more of their, just their physical abilities, their boxing abilities. Uh, there's more to being a cut man than, than just the mechanics, right? Uh, psychology is extremely important, you know. So as I speak to these guys, uh, I have they have to understand that I'm there to take care of them. And at that time, you're starting to put a bond together, uh, a mental bond, right? And uh, But, you know, I'll, I'll give them the encouragements. And one of the, I guess, the best lines that I've used uh, that actually was a question that I asked Mike Tyson. And I'll tell these kids, I said, look, you know, I, I interviewed Mike Tyson and I asked him, I said, every fighter has that one little thing that nobody has in the world except the fighters. What's that one little thing? And Mike Tyson very simply says, take the pain. You have to take the pain. So that was a documentary I was putting together called Giving the Fighters One More Round. And as I left, I thought about that quote and and I thought, you know, Mike was absolutely right because there's pain in, in the fight, but there's pain in the training. There's pain in the family uh, situations. Mm-hmm. There's pain in the financial situations. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have to go beyond that pain. And not that that was such a true, true statement that uh, I always try to relate to these young kids. Nice, nice. Has, has there um, has there been uh, something that you've had to overcome in your in your life that most people don't know about that you would like to share, Stitch, if, if anything? Yeah, of course, man. I should, I bro. I came up as a farm worker, man. I mean, I came down as low in the, in the, in the you know, in the in the status of of human beings as you could come. I was born and raised in a migrant camp in the San Joaquin Valley, and uh, my address is CPC number twelve for the California Packing Company. And so I was a farm worker all my life. So those are the obstacles that I had to overcome, uh, and and I did, you know. And that's why I spoke to this, you know, OSP University. They're all young entrepreneurs on, on what it took for me to cross those boundaries. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, of course, you know, there was a, a lot of struggles that, uh, I, I didn't know what I was going to do when I was going to do it and how I was going to do it, you know, but, uh, 
joining the the Air Force. 1972 is is what really kind of opened up my uh, my life and. You know, like I told these young kids, and I'll tell you guys, and I'll mm-hmm. tell your listeners, is, you know, we're all scared, and I always tell people, is follow your dreams because they do come true. You know, but there's that one line, and you guys did it. I'm sure when you guys started your podcast, mm-hmm. there's that one line, and if you don't cross that line to get to the other side, you'll never have your 95th show or yeah. your 100 show. Yeah. So we all have to go through those moments, and and if you're scared, it's okay, you know, because yeah. we were all scared, but you know. My mentality and, and mentality is always good is if I screw up, I know I can back, go back and pick tomatoes and pick cotton and pick peaches, mm-hmm. you know. So that's always been my mindset. Yeah. Stitch, um, you, we were talking, you were just talking about nerves. Um, your first, uh, your first uh, time working a, a, a title shot. <laughs> can you tell me a little bit about yeah. that? Did you feel nerves, anxiousness? Or any doubt at all? Well... Yeah, well, you know, in kickboxing, I've worked many, many world title fights. But my first in boxing, my first world title fight, uh, which meant a lot, was uh, Tony the Tiger Lopez from Sacramento fought uh, the legendary Julio Cesar Chavez in Monterey, Mexico. And uh, so, you know, I'd been all over the world in kickboxing. So Mm -hmm. I'd been in big arenas and what have you not. But brother, this was who see the Chavez, you know, yeah. and uh, and it's it's in a baseball arena in Monterey, fifty thousand people, and you know, baseball before I became uh, in, in the before I joined the military, I always wanted to be a professional baseball player. Mm-hmm. So you know, to to walk onto a baseball field of that magnitude uh, for a big world title fight uh, with Julio Cesar Chavez and Tony the Tiger Lopez in a Don King pr- promotion. That's how I started my career, man. And uh, look at me now, and now I'm doing shit all over the world. Nice. And this is in what year again? I mean, I can't tell you years, bro. You know, <laughs> but I still, I, no, I've been in Las Vegas okay. 20, going on 26 years, and this was when I still lived in Fairfield, California, in the Bay Area. Okay. Did you ever imagine that you were going to make it this big? Really? Because I feel like... I never did. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I, I never did. You know, growing up as a farm worker, like I said, I was tell the story i'd be either chopping cotton or i'd be picking fruit and you're you know you get you're always into your own world because you're doing things on your own you're picking whatever but uh my always my goal was always to be a professional baseball player and of course i walked on to a merced college and and my town was nine miles away and i didn't have a car and i would ride with friends to school and they would leave after school and i'd stay in practice and i'd have to do this you know for the longest time and and, and not knowing, because I grew up real naive and nobody really guided us. I didn't know about scholarships. I didn't know about grants. I didn't know about talking to a counselor, about talking to my coach. So I joined the military and, uh, in 1972. And, mm-hmm. and uh, 1974, they stationed me in Thailand. And that's when I flourished. And that's when I, you know, went and, and hit it up. But, yeah, there was always those moments, you know, where I just thought, but I knew Eventually, I was going to be a professional in something. Thought it was going to be baseball. I never would have thought it would be in combat sports as as a cut man. Nice. Wow. You know what? Let's take it back to the bubble. What What is it? What's a typical day like? Just entering the arena, being around the fighters. Can you describe that in detail, please? Yeah. You know, for the most part, I mean, the weigh-ins take an hour, right? So we leave our rooms. Literally, you're, you're locked in your room. And uh, I'm not going to say locked. You're in your room mm-hmm. until 
it's time for you to do something. But uh, let's say the fights. So uh, the fights normally start at 5 o'clock. Fighters start showing up at 3.30. We, the cut men, will leave at 3. So we go down the elevator and uh, we'll get up to uh, the arena. And everything's in the convention center. They got the That's where we'll eat. And that's where they got the weigh-ins. And that's where they have the arena for the fights. And so we'll go set up. And then once the fighters start coming in, then uh, we'll go to the individual fighters again and, and talk to them, the guys we're working with, and ask them, you know, if they're okay with gauze and tape, you know, water, ice. It's just making sure they have everything that they need. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's different, but it's not different because when I was with the UFC, I did so many, so many reality shows, and those were without an audience. So for me, it's second nature. But for a lot of these people, it's a trip, man, because you can hear it's it's like sparring in the gym. You can hear these guys punching each other. You can hear the coaches giving instructions. You know, uh, you can hear Bernardo uh, doing some interviews in the back. So you can hear all that. And then I guess they have an app now where if you log on to the app, you could actually speak as the fights are going on and, and we could hear them. Up, uh, up in the rafters. So it's it's a trip, man. Once the fighters finish fighting, you know, like, like say Adam. Once Adam finished fighting, they have to leave the the arena and go back to their room. You know, it's just it's it's real restricted, uh, and that's why I say it's the Shawshank, uh, Shawshank uh, redemption of uh, of boxing because literally we're in the bubble and the bubble could be construed as a prison <laughs> in in a nice way, you know. But we're all having a good time. The spirits are good, you know. Everybody's joking around, and yeah. and we're starting to, you know, get some real good friendship. From from the fighters that you've seen on on these top rank cards, which one has uh has impressed you most, Stitch? Ah, it's a good question, man. I I, I don't know. I mean, you know, there's uh, Adam did good. I, actually, Adam and the kid that he fought yeah. did good. There's there's been four or five young kids that have shown some real real good skills and. I don't know, man. I do too many fights, bro. It's tough for me <laughs> to get an honest answer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm going to, um, Stitch, I'm going to give you some some rapid fire questions real quick. Let's go. Just a few. Sure. Um, I'm just going to ask you some, uh, some of the fights that you worked uh, in your career. So I'm going to ask you, what has been the most entertaining fighter that you worked with? Entertaining? Yeah. Uh, well, I think uh, a bunch of them. Johnny Tapia, uh, very entertaining. Uh, I loved working with him. Uh, Vladimir Klitschko uh, and Vitaly Klitschko because of their status and who they were and how big they were, uh, were entertaining. Uh, but no, it's, it's tons of them. Okay. You know, but Johnny Tapia was was special in itself. Okay. Best offensive fighter that you've seen, either work with or, or, or didn't work with? Best offensive fighter? Offensive fighter? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'd have to say Andre Ward. Uh, because, you know, I've worked with Andre ever since he turned pro, and I always looked at him as not being an outstanding fighter. Everything that he did, he did right. But that's why I have to put my, my money on him, because everything that he does, he does right. You know, so might not be the prettiest of boxing, but it definitely sure the most effective. Yeah, and I think you worked with him in the movie, right? What was his, what was his uh, actor name in that? Wheeler? I forget his Danny, name. Danny Wheeler? Uh, Ricky Conlon. Was it Ricky Conlon or... Something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Oh yeah, the the crippler, something like that. <laughs> okay. Best defensive fighter that you worked with, the one that made your job easy. 
Uh, Johnny Tapia was very good in the defense. Okay. You know, I had to give him credit. Uh, Amir Khan uh, was good defensively. You know, he would get cracked at time, but uh, he did pretty good. But Johnny Tapia, just his style of fighting. Uh, Tyson Fury, I, I just worked with him when he fought yeah. Deontay Wilder yeah. for the first time. And, and I worked with Vladimir Klitschko when he fought uh, Tyson Fury. Mm. And when he beat, when Tyson Fury beat Klitschko, I thought Klitschko had a bad day. But when I saw Fury fight Deontay Wilder, his defense was tremendous. And it's just a natural defense. Nice. What's been the best promotion that you've been a part of? Uh, God, they've all been good. You know, I, from top rank to Don King to Al Heyman to uh, the uh, K2, the uh, the Klitschko groups, they're all A-level. You know, Pride, uh, UFC, Bellator, all the groups that I've worked with have all been A-level groups, so it's, it's tough to say one over the other, but what makes a good promotion is when, you know, let's say I fly to London. So if I fly to London, when I get to the airport and I go through baggage claim, somebody's there to pick me up. You know, they have my name. When I get to the hotel, um, I, I, I get a, a schedule. I get my per diem. You know, I get my room. Uh, when the fight's over, even before the fight's over, you get your departure time when they take you back to the airport. Those are what you call good, good promotions mm. where, you know, you don't have to worry about anything. And, and these guys do all that at the, at the A-level. So all these guys, I've been real, real blessed. And, you know, there's been promotions I've worked with, bro. And after the fights, you kind of have to figure a way how to leave the arena back to the hotel. Um, they're gone. How do you, you know, yeah. there's time you got to take your own cab to the airport mm -hmm. uh, because they don't have nobody to take you. And so I've been through all of them. Well, okay, what about the toughest fight you've worked? Oh, shitload, man. Shit, shitload of fights. Toughest fight <clears throat> I've worked. Uh, gee, that's a good question. Tons, tons of tons I've, I've worked for sure. But I think Vandalay Silva, when he hit Dell, was probably the toughest uh, that these guys fought. Not that I've worked, because I've worked a whole bunch of tough, tough fights, but Vandalay Silva. Uh, Chuck and I were cracking each other, man. We just hear punches, bam and bam and bam, and and was tough, probably top favorite fights for sure. Nice. All right, that does it for me for the questions. Thank you for asking those stitch. Good answers. Great <laughs> yeah, answers. Very good answers. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. You mentioned Tyson Fury. Yeah. Now that fight against Deontay Wilder, obviously he brought you on for the second fight um, after the the Otto Walling fight. I guess you just wanted someone. I mean, you're probably the best in the game, so why not add you to the to the corner, right? You weren't needed in that fight, in that second fight. But um, what do you think about that fight? Did you think that Tyson would be able to do it uh, in that dramatic fashion against uh, Deontay Wilder? Yeah, of course. You know, I, I um, number one, to get called to work with Tyson Fury <clears throat> uh, under the circumstances of how everything came up with him getting cut the fight before and him fighting Deontay Wilder <clears throat> on the first fight. And, you know, he came up like The Walking Dead and the rematch. And uh, But the way I understood it is I got calls from a couple guys that uh, Bob Aaron was asking about me. Uh, 
and uh, you know about working with Tyson Fury and and then word is that Tyson Fury was asking about me and um, you know so uh, I got the call to go meet him two weeks before the fight and and uh, we met each other and we talked and we went over the cuts and I felt them I looked at them and I told him what I'd be doing for him and um, you know he welcomed me to the team uh, and and but. I saw him sparring in the ring, in the gym, because I saw him right when he was starting to peak the last two weeks of his training. So I saw what he did, and I was very, very impressed. But come fight time, I always told people that I, I work on percentages. I work numbers as everything and everything we do. You're at your 95th show, yeah. right? Uh, and, you know, So everything is based on numbers, but when you break it down, because in boxing there's a saying that the only thing that counts is the truth. So Deontay Wilder only had one chance of winning, and that was by knockout. Mm. Tyson Fury had two chances of winning. That was going the decision or by knockout. Mm -hmm. And if it went the decision, then the probability of him winning would have been 100% just because of his style of fighting. Uh, but he ended up knocking out Deontay Wilder. Uh, but, yeah, tremendous, tremendous fighter. And I think now people are – I became a fan of his – after he beat Vladimir Klitschko when he fought Deontay Wilder, because I knew that that's the way that this guy fought. You can't teach that kind of style of fighting. Uh, that's just him, but but he's good at what he does. Mm, nice. Yeah. Like we say, you weren't needed in that, that second fight because he just blew Deontay But let me add to that, because the week before I was in Florida, I worked the bare knuckle fights, and I came back that following Monday to camp, to the training, and I told Tyson Fury, I said, man, I, I probably did like 10, 15 interviews when I was in Florida. Mm. And everybody asked about the cut and how I got yeah. the job. And uh, then I said, you know, everybody's concerned about the cut except you and I. Mm. He says, I'm, I'm not concerned about the cut, you know. But in, in that, I'm an insurance policy. Yeah. You know, uh, for me to take that out of his mind uh, was important because I told him, I'm going to work on you every round. I'm not going to wait. To see if something happens, I'm gonna I'm gonna do preventive maintenance. That's keeping ice on you and keeping the kale swell on you, and and just making sure that you walk out as handsome as you walk in. <laughs> so I took that out of his mind, and that's you know one of the jobs of a cutman. Let me ask you this: What mistakes do you see that uh, from other cutmen at times? Because everybody has their uh, style, uh, I suppose. Yeah, there's there's um. Uh, there's a lot of mistakes. Number one mistake, the one that bugs me the most, and actually now that this uh, COVID-19 is, is, is happening and, and, you know, we're doing all this safety type of, of boxing, yeah. this technique will almost be abolished, and I've always been against it, but that's when the and, – and you might see some guys do it. That's when the guys put the, the swabs in their mouth. Oh, you know, mm -hmm. they got it here or they got yeah. it in their ear, and to me – you know, I always wear gloves. Uh, I have the wrist wrap that he got the swabs in here. So you keep them as sanitized as possible for a boxing show. But these guys, keep in mind, well, you, you got it in your mouth. You're going to put that into an open wound. So that's just filthy, right? Yeah. And and I see guys don't wear gloves. <clears throat> I see guys that uh, are using the same bloody towel time after time. Uh, I see guys that are cut men that are putting the stool in. I don't touch the stool because it's filthy, right? Mm -hmm. So you got to be as clean and as sanitized as possible in the ring, and and those things aren't 
some of the ways of doing them. So there's a, you know, then you see guys applying the Vaseline and, yeah. you know, they're just, their whole techniques are wrong. So mm. uh, I see that in, in boxing. Now, if you look at MMA, uh, if you notice, all the guys, I could almost say 100% of the guys wear gloves. They got the wrist wrap with the swabs here. They put their Vaseline here. They'll work on it like an artist. Yeah. That's what I do. They got the little towels uh, that I use that I clean them up. I throw them away. They follow that system that I put together. Uh, boxing guys, they're a little bit more macho they, uh, than, than, than they think they are, you know. And uh, But, you know, it's funny. When I first started to learn to be a cut man, when I lived in the Bay Area, I went to a boxing show. Bone Cusher Smith fought Marvis Frazier. And this one guy did a good job on the cuts and I was learning to be a cut man. And I went and asked him, I said, look, I'm trying to learn to be a cut man. Can you tell me what you did? He says, you know what? Fuck you. He goes, I'm taking this wow. to my grave and you wow. got to learn like me. And he walked away wow. and I felt about this big, but I said, I'd never be like that guy. So my job would always be to teach. So, so if any cut man comes up to you and asks you a question, you, you try to give him as much info as possible. Oh, of course. Of course. And I, uh, I get, hey, listen, I get emails and messages every week from doctors and paramedics and EMTs and nurses and housewives and anybody. Everybody sees what I do and they want to be a cut man. And uh, some people say, hey, man, can I follow you around? I said, no, you can't do that. <laughs> it just don't happen. They don't can I just tag along? Credentials like that. But I tell these people, I said, look, man, here's what you got to do. You got to spend hours and days and weeks and months and years in the gym working as a fighter, working with the fighters, understanding that system. And then at that time, you start wrapping hands at your own expense. You start getting the confidence of the fighters. You start working corners. At the same time, you start studying being a cut man. And because there's really no schools out there for being being a cut man. I've put out a couple of videos that will show you the basic foundation of wrapping hands and, and working cuts. But there's there's nobody out there really to show us to do what we do. And then also, at one point, do you say, all right, my fighter can't continue? Because I'm pretty sure everybody has their own method to come to that decision as well. Yeah, you know, you, you always look... Good questions, man. I'm, I'm impressed. I can do this shit all day with you guys. <laughs> hey, uh, we got time. We got uh, time. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, that's a, oh, man, I forgot the question. I was so excited, man. <laughs> Uh, when well, is it? When is it too much? When do you say uh, uh, my fighter can't go. continue? What methods do you yeah. use? So it, here's what happens: the rule of thumb is when they stop a fight, whether the referee stops it and takes them to the doctor, or the doctor looks at it and stops the fight, is when a fighter is at a disadvantage, whether he can't see. Well, he's a disadvantage. He's getting blood in the eyes. You know, his, his eyes are closed. That's when they stop a fight, right? And and you as a cup man. You need to instruct the coaches. Let them know that look, here's what's happening. Uh, an example that I did with uh, uh, Andre Durrell when he fought Eskidigi on the rematch. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, <clears throat> Virgil Hunter was a trainer, and Virgil Hunter was sick. He, he had told me he was sick, but I just didn't know how sick he was. And he ended up spending like two, three months in the hospital after that show. The grandfather was working. He was, you know. He was slow. So Andre Durrell is taking the kind of punches that just penetrate. The, those are the punches that kind of give you long-term damage. Uh, instead of short-term damage are the cuts, you know, the broken hand, 
things that could be repaired. Long-term damage is something that you're going to accumulate down the, you know, as, as time goes on, the dementia pugilistica, the punch drunk syndrome. So Andre Durao is taking those type of shots and I'm trying, I'm telling uh, uh, Virgil Hunter, I said, look, man, he's taking a lot of shots. You might want to consider stopping the fight. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. One more round, one more round. But at that point, I didn't know that he still wasn't very coherent. So I I see the doctors sitting behind me and they're talking and I get into the ring and I'm working on Andre Durrell and it's just him and I. And I said, look, the doctors are uh, thinking of stopping the fight. Do you want to continue? Mm -hmm. And real go, he just nods his head a little bit. And as I stopped the fight, I told the referee. So Virgil Hunter didn't know what was going on. No, no, one more round, one more round. Mm -hmm. And the grandfather, one more round. I said, nope. Because once the fighter tells you no, it's done. You know, mentally, he's already defeated. So so I did that. And the next day, well, his uncle called me. If you remember, his uncle trained him before. and He's the one that went and cracked the the so that he was banned for boxing. But he called me from Detroit and said, man, you did the right thing. Mm -hmm. The next morning, Andre Durrell and his wife called me. And they thanked me because he says, you know, I just didn't know what was wrong with me. I just didn't have nothing. But that's when you have to, through your experience factors, that's when you have to step up and and uh, and, and let your instincts and let your your knowledge uh, take care of the fighters. Yeah. So in other in other words, there there isn't that uh the tapping of the fingers or the eyes are shut closed, right? So. Uh, that was a you know that's a classic moment, man. And let's get into <laughs> that uh, cut me story. Mm-hmm. So I told Sylvester I said, man, you know, Sly, I said, you know, because I spent six weeks with him, mm-hmm. you know, just like this talking to you guys. I said, you know, Sly, you know how many times I'd had to educate these people on the theory of cut me Mick? I said, that's <laughs> non-existent because you just don't do that. Number one, if the eye is completely closed, yeah. they're going to stop the fight, right? Mm-hmm. It's because you're at a disadvantage. But now you're saying cut me Mick, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that makes you a surgeon, that makes you a doctor <laughs> performing yeah. surgery in a filthy ring. Mm-hmm. So that's a negative there, but then not only that, then you get the blood in the eye, so you got a double negative. Yeah. And uh, so, so he started laughing, right? Mm-hmm. So on um, Reed, Ryan, Ryan Coogler, the young director, yeah. came and asked me, he says, Stitch, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. I said, let's do it, man. And it became part of the movie. And when we did the premiere in Los Angeles, you have all these Arnold Schwarzenegger, you got all these actors that came to support all these big people that are watching the premiere with, you know, me and my wife and, and, uh, and, and my son. And, and that scene comes out and all people started clapping. Yay. Yeah. You know, so that, uh, that became part of the company Mick type of scenario. But in, in real life, that would never happen. Mm. You know, if uh, I wouldn't let him go out uh, unless he would just beat the holy, holy crap out of the other guy. But in that type of uh, scenario, that's probably not going to happen, but good question, guys. <laughs> Dude, can we expect you in a third film? Oh. Well, well, here's here's what it was. Uh, you know, hopefully, you know, I, you know, I, I spend six weeks one on one with Michael B. Jordan every morning uh, before we filmed. I would go to his trailer and 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 I would wrap his hands. So it'd just be me and Michael and and um, and and Royce, his his friend. The three of us in, in his trailer, just shooting the shit and 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 talking and all that. But in, I tell Michael, I said, you know, Michael, I'm I'm really proud of you guys, like mm-hmm. you guys, the young generation. 
that you guys have exceeded doing what you guys are doing. You know, you, Ryan Coogler, the young director from Oakland that wrote and directed Creed, Tessa Thompson, you know, the girl that's uh, the girlfriend for Adonis, mm -hmm. of course, Michael B. Jordan. So Michael, Michael B. Jordan looks at me and he says, Stitch, I'm directing Creed 3 and you're with me as long as you want. Ooh, that's nice. But that was, you know, normally the, the last Creed 1 and Creed 2 were filmed in March and April and, you know, getting into June, at least our parts, our six weeks. But <laughs> March and April have already left. So I don't know what's up mm -hmm. with the Hollywood industry, but if they do have it again uh, and if they call me again, uh, then, you know, to me, that just solidifies me as being part of the Rocky series, yeah, part of the yeah. uh, the Creed series. And uh, to me, I'd be honored because I'm still, still that little Chicano that grew up as a farm worker or, you know, in the big leagues. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I never forget where I come from. It's very motivating. And then also, man, I, I saw an interview recently where you said you kind of hesitated to, to take the role because you had other fights already uh, scheduled, right, with some yeah. other fighters. For for the Balboa, yeah. Uh, when uh, Joe Cortez, as a matter of fact, Joe Cortez is at the fight, and we were talking about yeah. it the other day. Joe Cortez called me, and because he was telling me, we were talking about it, that Stallone says, you know what, get me some good people. Get me some good, good, good people, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. So he called me and uh, told me that, you know, so-and-so and this and that. And, and at that time, I was going to work, I was going to go to Paris, France, work with Fabrice Tioza, which was the cruiserweight champion of the world mm -hmm. from France. I worked with him before. And then the week after, I was going to London, England to work with Audley Harrison. Audley Harrison was a heavyweight from England that won the gold medal. So he was a big star. So I had two big paydays, right? And uh, so I tell Joe, I can't do it, man, because I got to go to France. I got to go to uh, England. And I call my wife at work, and I tell her, and I say, well, I can't do it. She goes, are you crazy? She goes, you have to do it. He says, Rocky is an American icon. And I thought about it. In fact, I'm right here, right where I'm sitting right here. I was sending the email to the people for Audley Harrison on the flights, the details, the pay and all that. And I looked at it and I deleted it and I sent him a message and said, I hope you guys understand. I got offered an opportunity to be in the Rocky movie and so on. So on. they understood. Yeah. And uh, well, I called Joe and he got me back on and, and it turns out that the fights in Paris got canceled anyway. So uh, trust your wife, man. Those, those, those <laughs> <guys. laughs> so it was the best thing. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> of the of the original five Rocky movies, which is your favorite, Stitch? That one, of that course. One. <laughs> okay, of course, I'm in it. I'm in it. That one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> now you know you 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 have to love the first one, oh. right? Mm -hmm. And and you have to love the one with Ivan Drago. Yeah. Uh, Rocky and then you know, then like I said, this one's special because uh, it's. Uh, you know, it's a part of that history. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, what impressed me with that was Sylvester Stallone wrote, directed, and acted uh, in that movie. And uh, I have a picture where I'm like this on the ropes and he's like this on the ropes and mm -hmm. he has his robe on and, you know, he has a, a swollen eye and he's yeah. directing, okay. you know. Uh, so I got to see that on Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. And not very many people get to do that. Yeah, so how, how is Sylvester? How... How is he in, in, in top of the line, top of the line guy, man, you know, and like I say, when he, uh, you know, when, when he used my name stitch instead of Marcel, uh, I'll tell you that story, huh? No, so, but what had happened when I got the script, uh, the cut man's name was Marcel. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And I think, man, I got to change that because I don't know anybody named Marcel. <laughs> but when it was, you know, so I was trying to figure out a way to do it. But when it was time for Rocky to introduce us to Adonis, he says, oh, this is Stitch. He's the best cut man in Philadelphia, right? <laughs> That's a good impression. So he, <laughs> That's a good impression. He, and threw my name in. And, uh, man, deep inside, I'm thinking, yes, 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 he did it, you know. <laughs> Next day, I, I went over there and said, look, man, I want to thank you for using my name. He says, no, nah. he goes, it has to be authentic, you know. And uh, But super, super guy, man, good at what he does and, and understands boxing inside and out and, uh you know, when he, when we filmed him being the coach in the corner, I told him, I said, man, you do a great job, not only as a fighter, but you did a great job as a coach. Nice. Man, you know, yeah. hit him with the round. <laughs> yeah, when, when I saw that scene with our, where Adonis meets you, I'm like, oh, he's got a good cut, man, because that guy cuts easily. Adonis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, uh. They, they want me to say some lines, but shit, I'm not an actor, bro. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> you know? <laughs> hey, hey, man, you know, what kind of cuts you have, you know? That's so I kind, of blew, I kind of blew that moment. <laughs> oh, so so, so what, 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 what were some of the lines that you had that you might want to say now? Oh, well, cool, because uh, I didn't have a lot of lines, but when I in residuals, and this is what they call mailbox money, because it just comes when, when they sell it to the movies, you know, they get okay. the, the SAG, people get money. And then they divide that amongst the people that have lines, mm. words, right? So on the first one, shit, I don't even know what my line was, man, but I got <laughs> residuals. And uh, and on, on the second one, in the beginning of the movie, uh, he's warming up in the dressing room and, and they're showing him on HBO and I got the changer and all the media's there. Mm. And my million dollar line was, all right, everybody out, let's go. <laughs> that was it. Nice, you know? there you go. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, but I, I get residuals from uh, both those movies, and I get residuals from uh, Here Comes the Boom, and okay. uh, with Woody Harrelson, and uh, not Woody Harrelson, uh, Kevin James, and Salma Hayek. And okay. I get residuals from Here Comes the Boom with Woody Harrelson and Antonio Banderas. So, uh, yeah. So, million dollar lines, and you know the thing with Kevin James, uh, I didn't have lines at all, and once again, I had to say something that way I get residual because you get more money. Mm-hmm. They pay you good for this for the time you're working, but the long term monies that you make with residuals is more than you make from the actual fights. Uh, so or for the actual movie. Mm-hmm. So I had to think of something, but Kevin James, when it was time for me to do my scene with him, he pulled me aside and he says, Stitch, we gotta have you say something. Yeah. Which I thought was great on his part. Uh-huh. And uh, so I'm playing the dumb part and I said, well, here's what I tell the fighters welcome to the UFC. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. So when the scene comes, he gets cut, the bell rings, they sit him down. I walk in, and I'm starting to work on him, and, oh, Stitch, I'm a big fan of yours. I can't believe you're working on me, and, oh, what a week I'm having. And So I work on him, and then right at the end, I go, I slap him, boom, I walk him <laughs> to the U.S., and then I walk out, and, and he didn't know I was going to slap him. Everybody started laughing, and uh, that became the one take, you know, so... Uh, that was it. A poem. Well, welcome to the UFC. That was my million dollar line. Nice. I was just gonna ask you, uh, would, have you ever improvised? You just you just did it there. That's that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's uh, yeah. There, in in the Balboa movie, mm-hmm. it was funny. Uh, I didn't have lines, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was gonna, you know, I was young. I didn't was gonna. If they, what the worst thing you could do is ask, you know, is because they'll tell you no. Uh, but 
Antonio Tarver, when he's Mason the Lion Dixon, he's fighting Balboa, mm-hmm. and he goes with a body shot, and he hurts his hand, and he's sitting down. And when I interviewed Mike Tyson a while ago, I asked him, I said, every fighter has that one little thing, take mm-hmm. the pain, right? Yeah. So Antonio Tarver says, oh, I hurt my hand, I hurt my hand. So I yell out, I improvise, take the pain, take the pain, right. you take know? Pain. And uh, so when I see the movie, wow. they dub my name or my voice, and the, the coach himself is saying, take the pain, <laughs> take the pain. Right. So they stole my line. Ah, they owe you. I'm not going to... Wow. Nice. So, yeah, um, we're just talking about uh, Rocky Balboa. One of his last fights was in, in the story is when he was in his 50s, 60s, maybe. Um, yeah. You just talked about Mike. You know, some of his videos went viral. Do you... Would you like to see him uh, do an exhibition match, if, if if any fight at all? Mike? Mike Tyson. No. 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 You know, there's there's a big saying where... You could beat anything, but you can't beat time. Mm-hmm. And and you know to see Mike Tyson come back and is is like remember Joe Lewis, yeah. you know what he had to do and I just kind of discredited him a little bit. But no, I I wouldn't want to see him do that. Yeah, yeah, come with. with mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just around here with uh, against the ropes. Let me ask you guys: Would yeah. you guys be seeing Mike Tyson? Ted, would you be interested in seeing him do an exhibition? Chris. Exhibition. I, I I I know Gio's gone on record say he doesn't want to see because of the age. Um, yeah. I think they offered him like twenty million. I was like, if I if I do want if I want to see Mike, it has to be headgear. It has to be short rounds. But um, again, at the same time, I wouldn't want to see him. He's I think he's on a, a different uh, path in his life now, where he's at peace. Uh, he's he's just it's like his second act, and why mess that up? He at the end of the day, his his health comes first. So I think a part of me wants to see it, but then a part of me is like, no, 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 let's just. Let's just leave it be. You know, Mike already gave us a lot of tremendous uh, fights in, in his youth. Yeah. yeah. You know, I had the privilege of working, doing pads for Mike. Because, mm. <clears throat> you know, I was a trainer also. Yeah. And uh, they, oh, they, Panama Lewis called me to do pads for Mike. So I did like uh-huh. a week's worth of work. And uh-huh. I would have been glad just one day, you know. And uh, so I got to feel his power. Nice. So yeah, I was just about to ask you about uh about Panama Lewis because yeah. we um we had the director for uh, Assault in the Ring, we did an interview with yeah. him maybe two weeks ago, yeah, a couple weeks ago, a couple yeah. weeks ago, and um yeah, what are your thoughts on Panama Lewis and that whole um, Billy Collins Luis Resto controversy? Yeah. yeah, that was you know I saw that HBO special that was great, but I've worked with uh, Panama Lewis twice mm. uh, when uh, Francois Bolta fought Mike Tyson. Uh, Panama Lewis. Well, pa- Panama Lewis used to have a couple of Russian fighters, mm-hmm. Sultan and, and Timur Abragamov. And and I used to do patch for guys. You know, I, I was a trainer before I was a cut man, but yeah. <clears throat> when I moved to Vegas, I didn't, be, I didn't come to be a trainer because I had an eight to five job, so I couldn't give you 150%. But I would mm-hmm. do pads and guys would hire me. And and uh, when both of Tyson, Panama brought me in. So I, I got to work with Panama. But yeah, he was, uh, he was old school. You know, and, and I think that's what happened with Billy Collins and Louis Resto is the reason that the states started creating yeah. uh, athletic commission, commissioners to inspect them and see what you do, you know. Uh, but in those days, the gloves were horseshair. And mm-hmm. what had happened, I guess, right on the palm, they yeah. did a slit and then they took all that, uh, that horsehair out and then readjusted it. But I remember reading a Sports Illustrated magazine or article on that fight, and Billy Collins says, he tells his dad, I feel like I'm getting hit with rocks, you know. Mm. 
But I remember the fight with the father shaking Louis Russell's hands and he don't let go and all that. And uh, But, yeah, and then uh, Panama is the one that called me to do the patch for Mike Tyson. And that was right before uh, Freddie Roach came on board. So I did like a week, and then Mike left to D.C. I think he was divorcing his wife. Mm. And when he came back, Freddie Roach took over. But, yeah, I was I was glad just to do patch with him that one time. Nice. Yeah, because uh, Panama Lewis, I guess he's, he's seen as what, you know, like a – Maybe like a bad guy, he's you know seen as yeah. a he has that Don King reputation in a way, you know, mm-hmm. the villain in a lot yeah. of these these controversial yeah. moments. No, he was he was controversial, and you know, and, and before that, Billy Collins one with uh, <clears throat> Aaron Pryor with uh, Alexis Aguero. Yeah, the water bottle. You know, yeah, give me the bottle. No, the one I mixed. Yeah. You know, so of course, everybody always asked him, but yeah, Panama was you know that that was the guy, the kind of guy that always looked take the advantage in a fight whether it was right or wrong. And mm. uh, and the majority of the time it was wrong, you know, but uh, that's why it's like uh, uh, the, the guy that wrapped uh, Margarito's hands. Yeah. You know, ESPN had called me and, and they wanted my opinion on that. And I said, well, look, here's how we set up. Whenever we have a chance fight, of course, you know, we got the guy, we do the padding, we got the gauze, we got the tape, we do the strips. We got everything laid out, so when the fighter comes and sits down, everything is like a doctor. Everything is already laid on the table. Yeah. Well, what happened with uh, Margarito is his coach reached into his bag and pulled out the padding, mm. and those were the paddings that were made uh, before they got there, which I guess were the ones that were uh, questionable. So I said that's not the norm that we do as top professional people. Yeah. So something was wrong in that glitch, and same thing with Panama Lewis. You know, no, the one I mixed. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, I think that's the in the song, the ring. That's where um, I guess Rouge Resto kind of opened up what was in that like in that mix. Yeah. It was the uh, the asthma. Some type of asthma pills that help your respiratory system. Help your lungs. Oh, I. Yeah. I, I, I don't know because. Yeah, that's what he uh, said at least. And I tell you mm-hmm. what. Whatever it was, definitely injected some energy into him because I remember seeing that fight. Then they used to have them in uh, in theaters, and yeah. uh, but I remember I went to San Francisco when I lived in Oakland, and uh, and got to see it in the theater. And uh, yeah, I mean, it just like he just got resurrected, you know, kind of like yeah. Tyson Fury when he jumped up after Deontay <laughs> Wilder dropped. Same thing with uh, Aaron Pryor. He just, it just, and he just knocked out Alexis Aguero. Yeah. Okay. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so we we call well, people call boxing the Wild Wild West, right? There's not a lot of regulations, or it's um it's not a, as regulated as other sports. If if you could change one rule in boxing to for for the betterment of the of the sport, what would it be, Stitch? Good question. Well, it, you know, it, let me. It, it is regulated, yeah. but it's regulated to the point where every state, mm-hmm. really for the most part, have their own rules and regulations. Okay. Uh, they got the ABC, the Association of Boxing Commission, that really everybody should be under one umbrella when it comes to rules because I could do a fight here in Las Vegas mm-hmm. and then, you know, next week do one in Florida and everything is different. Uh, but, you know, I, how would you change it? Or what would I do mm-hmm. is, is you know, combat sports is the only A-level sport where we don't have to be certified to be considered professionals and working with professional athletes. You know, you got football, you got trainers. They all go through some educational uh, programs, mm-hmm. uh, get certified. We don't have to. 
all you need is $50 and uh, you become a, a professional coach or professional cut man. So that I think needs to be improved is, is to have these people, you know, understand the game a lot better and maybe through testing or, or definitely doing seminars and what have you not. But uh, yeah, you know, like I said, there's a lot of guys that put the swabs in their mouth, put them here. Yeah. You know, those guys, just, I mean, I see a lot of, even here with these young guys uh, uh, that I'm working these fights with top rank, a lot of these young guys have corners that don't have a lot of experience. Yeah. So I see a lot of the glitches. We have a question here from our good friend, Chris Karmelich, Big Bear. He says, is he ready for UFC 251, three title fights? Man, I quit watching UFC a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I've never watched it, so I don't even know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the, the thing about the, the UFC is, yeah, because I was with them for 15 years, right? So, mm -hmm. But that's when you had all the legendary fighters. You, yeah. you can name them by the dozens. I don't know any of these people that are fighting now, man, to be honest with you, unless they're guys that were fighting, beginning their careers when I was with them, yeah. you know, and I've been gone for six weeks, but, or six years, but the, the whole generation of UFC fighters, there's just, there's no big superstars. Uh, Stitch, was there ever a fighter that you came close to working with, but um, it, it, uh, it didn't happen? Mm. <clears throat> well, I, I I could have, you know, uh, I'll tell you a story about Floyd. Uh, mm -hmm. Floyd is, Floyd always had problems with his hands, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know that. So he was going through auditions of guys doing their raps and what have you not. And I, I walk into top rank gym one day with a friend of mine and, and this one cut man is wrapping Floyd's hands and James Prince is his manager and, you know, Floyd is kind of going like this and, you know, mm -hmm. doing this. And I'm telling my partner, I said, man, stuff's too, too tough, uh, too tight. So he gets both his hands wrapped and goes into the dressing rooms. And a minute later, he's coming back and he's cutting them off. And at that point, if I wanted to be cold towards that other cut, man, I could have said, Floyd, I'm here. Let me wrap your hands. <laughs> I know if I would have wrapped his hands, I would have got the job. But out of respect to him, I didn't do it. And then, mm -hmm. of course, you know, Rafael came on board. And, uh, and and he wrapped it and Floyd liked it. And, and I'm glad he got Rafael because Rafael, you know, needed that opportunity. He had been in so many, uh, working with so many fighters. That was nice to, to see him finish his career with Floyd uh, Mayweather. Nice. Wow. What, uh, what are some of the, your biggest memories uh, just in boxing in general? Well, you know, working with Johnny Tapia was, you know, that was pretty nice. I know my first big coming out fight was um, uh, when I first moved to Las Vegas. Uh, people didn't really know who I was, but I had a lot of experience coming to Vegas uh, because I had a, you know, I was traveling the world with kickboxers. So mm -hmm. I was a trainer, I was a cup man and, and all that. But my first coming out fight was uh, Raul Marcus from Houston, Texas was the IPF uh, middleweight champ. He fought Keith Mullins, and I think Oscar De Loya fought Camacho, mm -hmm. and we were the semi-main. And but Raúl ended up with five cuts: two Damn. big ones, yeah. two here, one in the nose, something like seventy stitches. And I kept him in the game, and he ended up uh, defending his world title. And that was my coming out party. But Chuck Bodak, if you remember, the guy that looked like Colonel Sanders, passed <laughs> away now, a legend. He had, used to put the tape on his head yeah, and had yeah. the pictures of De La Hoya or 
or Chavez or whoever he worked with. And uh, he's the first one that came and, and literally welcomed me to Las Vegas. He told me I did a great job. And, you know, he became my mentor after that. And we did play to the bone together. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that's a memorable moment for me right there. We have another question from our good friend, Chris. Uh, you touched on Michael B. Jordan a little bit, but he's asking, how's working with Michael B. Jordan? Any real boxing skill there? Yeah, you know, yeah. he did He did real well, man. Uh, he, did, he did exceptional. And to the point where on the first movie, I think I, I did six weeks with him. So mm-hmm. I, up around the fifth week, you know, I, I'm right, I finished wrapping his hands. Like I said, we're in this trailer, just him and I and Royce. And I said, hello, Michael. I said, look, man, I'm going to, I'm going to knight you as a fighter because you, you're doing an outstanding job and you're representing our sport the way we as boxing people would want it to be represented. So I did, I, I knighted him there, but what an athlete, man, tremendous, tremendous athlete. And in the second movie, you know, I, I took care of him just like I do all the fighters, but he was showing me his knee. And he had a bunch of water in it. And mm-hmm. this was after filming. And he said, Stitch, what do you think? And I kind of look at it and I push it and it's it's all liquidy. I said, man, you got to go to the doctor and have it drained out. You know, I mean, he worked that hard. So the following Monday, come back and he has a video. I said, look, Stitch, I went to the doctor and show me the, the video where the doctor put the needle in his, uh. in his, in his knee <laughs> and drained all, drained, drained all that fluid. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's the kind of relationship that, I mean, he did things like a fighter, mm-hmm. and and getting hurt was one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had he had to spar Gabe Rosado, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yes. Okay. How was that uh, experience? Did you see that? How was that? What did what did Michael B say about that? Yeah, well, the, the the first day of filming that I did was that scene <clears throat> when he's fighting Gabe Rosado, mm-hmm. and uh, and and that was pretty nice because you know my goal was always to make it to the Blue Horizon in Philadelphia, which was a small arena where people literally, you would sit on top of the balconies and look down. Mm. Great, great place for small, intimate fights. And I never made it, but the the area that we use, kind of, they kind of duplicated the Blue Horizon. But uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a one take. Everything that they did was one mm. take. Mm. And, uh, but yeah, you know, Michael had a lot of great respect for Gabe Rosado because Michael came into Gabe Rosado's world. Mm. Nice. Yeah. yeah, and then shout out to, to Sly. Uh, he uh, gives these boxers opportunities. I know he's had Victor Ortiz in his films. Uh, Andre Ward was in Andre Ward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you mentioned Gabe Rosado. Nice. Yeah, they got some real fighters in there, man. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they sure did. Nice. Yeah. Let me uh, let me ask a couple more questions before we get out of here. We're about an hour and uh, 10 in, man. Yeah. Wow. Dang. Time flies. <laughs> Time flies. You got one more hour to go, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We know you got to get some rest, man. You've been busy. The top rank fights and all that. Um, let me ask you this: How many times have you had to help somebody out uh, after like a cut or something in a street fight or a bar fight? Has that happened? Uh, I got a- <laughs> got answers for two, bro. Yeah. So. <laughs> We did a we did a USC show <clears throat> at the Staples Center, right? And uh, so after the Staples Center, the hotel's walking distance away, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So after the show, you know, the cut man, we pack up our stuff and we're still walking. And all these people are outside, mingling and what have you not, and, and they see us and hey, let's take pictures and all that. So 
we're taking pictures and to the right of me, see this one guy, older guy gets pushed, bam. And, and the guys are kind of scuffling and I think, ah, yeah, they're, they're pretending to be UFC guys. Right. So <laughs> they, they were older guys, maybe they're middle forties, late forties, you know, but they were drunk. Mm-hmm. At least one of them was drunk. Well, the son <laughs> of, of one of them pushed the other guy so hard that the guy fell on the cement this way and he got knocked out mm-hmm. and I'm, six feet away from him and I got my stuff with me oh, and I said oh, man. so I get in there and I, I, I look at him he comes through and he has a big old cut right here we called it the UFC cut so I got my stuff and working on him and all these people are taking pictures and it came out on some YouTube or something like that and I'm working on him and he <laughs> finally realizes he goes oh Stitch I can't believe you're working on me. You're working on me. So I got the I got the gauze there, and I told his partner, I said, "Look, keep squeezing this. You got to take him to the doctor. He needs stitches." You know. So yeah, <laughs> and it happened. It happened uh, at a bar fight also where a guy got knocked out. That's crazy. He said, he said "Tell him stitch sent you." <laughs> he said, "But I can't believe it. he's he's all shocked, stitch." I can't believe you're working on me, <laughs> you know. Dope. So that's a highlight of his uh, of his whole career. Nice. I'm asking another random question. Do do snitches really get stitches? I don't know. I ain't no snitch, man. <laughs> <laughs> good answer. But, but good if, answer. You, if you snitch on me, I probably kick your ass. <laughs> oh, I got a question oh, yeah. for you, Stitch. Um, uh, there was a like. Is there a fight in the past? You know. Um, between fighters that you wish, like if, if you could, if you could have been in the corner of any fight, which fight would it ha- would it have been? That's a good question. Well, I, it's a good question. I think if I would have been, if, if I had a choice to be in a fight that I'd want to be in, I think it uh, had to be with Roberto Duran against anybody. Damn. Damn. You know, I, I I'd say Sugar Ray Leonard, but he he beat Duran. Mm-hmm. You know, but just to. Yeah. I think just to be in the corner with Roberto Duran, uh, even Alexis Arguello, those are two guys, uh, if I had a choice of working with them, would have been great. But they were before my time. Mm-hmm. Nice. Good yeah, we have somebody. And, you know, let me tell you go a story ahead, about Roberto Duran. Yeah. So we're, Zab Judas fighting at the Mandalay Bay here in Las Vegas. And, and I'm walking uh, with some of my friends uh, from MMA Junkie Radio, Georgian Ghost. And Roberto Duran comes up to me and in Spanish, he's telling me how he's so proud of seeing me do what I do and representing the, the raza and what I do not. And, nice. you know, we get our hugs and all that. And he goes that way. And my buddies are saying, that was Roberto Duran. You know, they were shocked. I was shocked, mm-hmm. you know, that, that he acknowledged me doing what I did. And, you know, I thought that was a pretty special moment for me. Nice. Wow. That's crazy. We have some... Somebody asking here, does Stitch still work for UFC? No, sir, he does not. No. Um, let's see. When when you did the three taps on the back of Michael B. Jordan's neck in the movie, when he couldn't see it, did you ever... Oh, you answered that earlier, right? Yeah. You answered about the, the taps. The tap. Yeah. Uh, He's, yeah, somebody, that was yeah, Somebody asked, are you related to Roberto Duran? <laughs> no, no right. in the heart. <laughs> but, but you know what? With that, I, I cut my hair. Uh, mm-hmm. when I came back from last week's shows because yeah. my hair was real long <laughs> and, and people have always mistaken me for Edward James Omos, right? Ah. And uh, <laughs> One of our friends it, said that happened. <laughs> and the younger 
Carlos Santana, but Edward James almost all the time. And 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 we're doing the Creed movie, and and we're on break, and and Stallone's friend is telling the makeup people how all oh, stitches this and stitches that, and and he looks like Edward James almost. Well, Stallone, Stallone's like this, and without breaking any kind of stride, he's a huh. More like Edward James, almost. Almost. Oh. <laughs> hey, and I started laughing. We all started laughing. I said, "Man, that's there's no counterpoint. That that's brother, funny. you know, you put me in my place, you know. <laughs> but that's a guy that he is. Yeah, Edward James, almost. So I sent Edward James almost uh, uh, a text because I met him and actually I did a little cameo in, in an independent film with him. And okay. uh, but I sent him a text and I said, you know, it's nice when people stop and they they want your picture or they ask for an autograph uh-huh. and then they think I'm you. <laughs> he said, "Well, we stitch all the time, you know. Oh, wow. So, so it just happened. Nice, very good. Man, you might have an answer to my next question. Um, if if they do a film on you, a biopic, tell the cut man who would you want to play you? Edward James, almost. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Somebody skinny guy. You know, I I was real skinny. I was like 145 pounds. Uh-huh. You know, growing up. I don't know if it was just, uh, but you had tall, skinny, and had a big afro and. So in the younger ages, I don't know. I'd have to do a, a screen test with people. And uh, in my older life, uh, you got a mustache and glasses, and you could be it, man. Nice. <laughs> yeah, Stitch. Let me ask you this: I, I'm looking at the schedule right now for Top Rank ESPN. Are you going out to Mexico City too? It says June June 20, Mexico City for Navarrete's fight. Are you going to be out there too? No, they, no. They have a, a different promotion up there doing oh, what okay. Top Rank is doing here. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, Stitch is in the. No, I wouldn't. Want- Did you hear me? No. Yeah. Oh, no, go oh, ahead. I was like, Stitch is staying in the bubble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, I don't want to take no chances to, you know, Rudy Hernandez, one of the cut men that, that uh, I've worked with in many years, and Chicanito Hernandez's brother, mm-hmm. he also works with the UFC, but he worked with a fighter last night. And we were talking about this. He goes, you know, it, it really wouldn't bother me, except for the fact that it's affecting the whole world, mm-hmm. you know? So it's not just something that's local. It's 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 a worldwide thing, and and that's something that we have to take serious. And and if I minimize my chances of being in the public, then uh, that's what I'll do until you know we get a hold of something. Nice. Yeah, man. I think that's all I got. Man. I, I enjoy just listening to all the good stories and the good jokes and all. That. I told you, I got. I told you, I got a shitload of stories. I, know. <laughs> I was gonna ask, uh, what? What is something that people don't know about uh, Jacob Duran Stitch? Uh, that my pet peeve is wrinkled clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I I, uh, I always iron my stuff. I okay. iron my wife's stuff. I iron my kids' stuff. <clears throat> you know, I grew up with a family of eight kids, and and of course we all had to be self sufficient. But okay. uh, ironing to me is a uh, is a big thing, and you know I I don't <laughs> mind if you get wrinkled, mm-hmm. but I think everybody should start the day off at least with their outfits uh iron right and and uh i talked about a girl frida gibbs was a kickboxer that was uh-huh. defending the world title and i was going to work with her as her cup man and this other guy uh was working also i didn't know who he was but he reaches into his bag and he pulls out a satin mm-hmm. uh, uh cornerman jacket and it's all wrinkled <laughs> brother i made him take it off man <laughs> oh, like, that's funny yeah, yeah, you can't go out representing this girl like this. Yeah. So uh, for me, that's just a discipline factor. Is okay. is that if you start off good, you look good, you feel good, you your go. day will be good. 
So yeah, I think in ninety-five episodes, I've only had one wrinkled shirt, and Gio would not oh, let me. Stop it! He would. Oh, Gio's so, busting you, then yeah. good for him, man. People, people in the comment section is like, what's up with that yeah, shirt, man? It was uh, like a yeah. mu- mustard shirt. It was, yeah, it was yeah, I don't I don't mind if you do it through hard work and you get wrinkled, and, you know, the yeah, day and yeah. all that. And, uh, but, man, don't start off wrinkled. <laughs> I've, been in, I've been in the gym with these fighters. You know, they'll put their, their workout T-shirt on. It's all wrinkled. That's a man. Don't do that. You know, <laughs> just fold it, put it in your bag, do something. But don't uh, just... I just can't understand how people could function with their clothes being wrinkled like that. Yeah, out here looking lazy. <laughs> out here looking lazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There we go. All right, man. Any other questions, Chris? Or are you guys in the comment section? Yeah, with me, it, probably, it would be like, what what message do you have? Um, what's if there's a message that you want to put out there? What 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 is it? Oh, I always, you know, the message I always put out is the same one is, you know, follow your dreams because they do come true. I mean, I, I'm no different than anybody out there. Right. Mm. And, uh, and in perspective that I always say is, is don't be scared to cross that line because uh, we've all come to that moment where we have to either say yes or no. And, and saying yes or no is going to determine what happens in your life. And when I say cross that line, I, I really understood it when I joined the air force, because mm. like I said, growing up and as a farm worker, you know, naive, I was going to join the air force with a friend of mine. And, uh, <clears throat> right before we're supposed to get inducted, he says he wasn't going to go in because he was going to get married and what have you not. Mm. So that I was scared. I ain't going to lie. I was scared, but I, I made that move to cross that line and join the air force. Mm-hmm. So now as, as you go fast forward, I'm in this position now, and my friend is still one of my best friends. We grew up from the migrant camps together, but he's he's driving trucks, uh, uh, agricultural trucks, which is seasonal. And his uh, his sister said, "You know, Jacob, what would have happened if he would have joined the Air Force with you? Mm. You know, would his life had been different?" And uh, you know, it's tough to say, but I think the chances would have because they would have took him into a different horizon. So uh, cross that line, bro. You know, don't be scared and you could always go back. And and uh, that's one thing that that line will give you is you could always go back, but you'll never know what the future holds unless you go forward. Nice. Right. nice. Take, well, the take, take, take the pain. Take the pain. Take the pain. Take the pain. Yeah. And take the pain. No doubt about it. See, nice. you guys will remember that now forever, but it, it makes so much sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an, anything in life. And, and, you know, with, um, if you guys remember when I was with the UFC, one of my sponsors was a company called One More Round. Mm. And One More Round, Mark Zucker, the owner, used to own BC Ethics. When Actually, when he saw Balboa, the movie that I was in, when Sylvester Stallone, Rocky's Town and his son, I got to go that one more round. Mm. He thought, you know what? That makes so much sense. Anybody yeah. and everybody in life, you can't quit. You got to go that one more round, right? So... <clears throat> It, he had lost his apparel company because the UFC required all this and all that. So it, he didn't do it, but he saw me working uh, the YouTube stars, KSI and Logan Paul. Yeah. And and it relaunched. So anyway, long story short, it, we relaunched one more round. He saw me and it just motivated him. Nice. And if you remember the Tyson Fury fight, uh, I got to wear, you'll see it. And I want that to know my cornerman jacket uh, was designed by Mark Zucker and myself for one more round. And, uh, the reality shows that we're doing here with 
uh, top rank, I'm repping one more round. So nice. uh, I encouraged him to cross that line again. And I'm glad to be part of that. That's nice. cool, man. That's cool. And let's go to some last yeah. comic, last some last comments slash questions here in the uh, group chat in the in the live YouTube chat. Um, Gonzalo Torres says, "Why did he leave UFC? He actually, got fired." And that's yeah. that's a uh, public information. You guys can find that information. Um, and he uh, Stitch actually mentioned it earlier as well. Um, who wins in a fight? Says Chris, Oscar De La Hoya or Dana White. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, Oscar was always a tremendous fighter, man. And you know, let me say something about Dana. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, people they, they he was saying that he's been in boxing and he got his career in boxing. And you know, the times and and I got to give Dana credit. He brought me into the UFC, so yeah. uh, and he took me out. But he's the one that really changed my life. But when it comes to being in boxing, the times that I've been there, I've been there 26 years. I never saw him work an A, B, or C level type of boxing fighting. So he was never really a coach or anything like that. Yeah. At least not when he was in Las Vegas. So I, I'd give the money to Oscar De La Hoya. Yeah. I agree with that. And, 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 and let me get back to yeah. this young man that about the UFC. Yeah. What had happened is uh, the UFC went into the Reebok deal. And, and before the Reebok deal, all these fighters and trainers and cut men, we were making more money off of our sponsors oh, okay. then at least I was as Cutman on uh, what the UFC was paying us. So I needed the UFC to make my money through sponsors. When they went with the Reebok deal, everybody had to get rid of their sponsors and mm. the fighters trained. Everybody hated it. And they, uh, they called the Cutman in and told them, we told us, uh, you got to get rid of your sponsors. And, uh, you know, I tried to negotiate a little bit more money, but there was no money in the kitty. So, that went to the Hayward. Anyway, John Nash from Bloody Elbow called me and asked if I'd be interested in doing an interview mm. on how the Reebok deal affected the Cutmen. And going back to the days of Cesar Chavez and my family being farm workers and fighting for the Huelga and all that and, yeah. and better things, I thought about that and I manned up. And the article I did was very politically correct, but it just went viral all over the world. And, mm. you know, I don't think the USC needed that kind of negativity. So uh, they called me and and the only thing that my friend says is that uh, because of the interview you did about Reebok, the UFC is not going to use you no more. And I told him to tell Dana. I said, you tell Dana that I said that he should have, that he ain't got no balls, that he should have called me because he's the one that brought me in. Yeah. And uh, so that's what happened there. You know, but it became, I became the face of, of uh, speaking my mind and, yeah. and basically the, the rebellion. And now you got guys like John Jones and John, and, and Masvidal uh, that are complaining because, you know, they should be getting paid more money and they're not. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm glad to have been part of that. Yeah. And yeah. Thank you guys for the questions here in the comment section. Yeah. Um, and then there's another one here, which is interesting. Does top rank, does top rank pay you directly or do the fighters do individually? So how does that work in this, in this current uh, situation? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And, uh, uh, yeah, top rank is paying us, you know, and, uh, so it's kind of like the MMA, that's what MMA, uh, the promoter will pay the cut men to come on in. Uh, but yeah, top rank pays us, you know, so, so that's great. You know, so I get paid for two, two shows a week, 13 shows altogether. Uh, they're paying us some good money. Uh, plus I, you know, I get to wear my one more round outfits. Uh, so it's good. 
Yeah, yeah man. And we wish you the best, man. Hopefully you guys are staying uh, safe out there. Yeah, yeah, of course we got no choice. <laughs> Chris? Yeah, no, I think that's it. Um, I'm sure we, I'm, we're glad to have you on, Stitch. I mean, I know we have so many more stories, and we'll definitely bring you back on so you can share more of those stories. Uh, but, yeah, no, thank you. It's, a, it's an honor to have you on our show. Okay. No, you guys, thanks, man. And congratulations and, uh, on your 95th, and 100's right around the corner, man. So all the best, you guys. Yes, and thank you, uh, the listeners. Good questions. That's what I like because, you know, I could do this all day because it's yeah. like barbershop talk. But it's, <laughs> nice when, it's, it's nice when people ask questions that aren't just your normal type of questions, but yeah. questions that people need to know. So uh, appreciate all the good questions. Close contact, man, and we wish you the best out there in Vegas. Good All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Stitch. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that was um, Stitch, man. Very good conversation. Thank you guys for the for the questions there in the comment section. Very good, right? Yeah, man. It was. That's the thing with these podcasts. You never know what, what stories you're going to share, who you're going to talk about. It's, yeah. you know, we like to... Just go with it and see where it takes us, and it's taking us with 95 episodes. So five episodes away yes. from the 100. Yes. Gonna be holding your little 100. Oh, yeah. Yep. Get my paper out, <laughs> my uh, Will Chamberlain paper, and uh, also we have um, a couple shows coming up as well. Yeah. We have a couple shows uh, coming up. We're uh, first of all, congratulations to our boy um, Victor Rodriguez, right? Yeah, I got that W. Improved to three and O now. At last night's show, top ranked ESPN, he showed out, got the W. Very good fight, man. He stayed composed, even though, you know, he's very young, but you can tell he has that experience and that maturity, right, to, to, to just fight a good fight, solid fight, man. So congrats to Victor Rodriguez. Yeah, he's got a, he got a good exposure, and this is a, the chance for him to be on the national stage, so we're so happy for him. I think he was with us in, like, episode 60, I want to say. Something like Something that. Like that. So it was great to see him... Uh, on a great performance. I know he got more exposure. I'm sure there are going. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure in the not too distant future he's gonna be getting a call, right? He has yeah, a lot of potential. Hopefully, hopefully, man. He's got a lot of potential, yes. so man, can't wait to see him back in the ring soon. Yeah, and he will be joining us also on the podcast. We still got a schedule that um, but he has agreed to come on back on. So looking forward to that. Congratulations, Victor. Yeah, no, shout out also to Jose Martinez. Yeah. The decision didn't go his way, but uh, yeah. again, he put on a good show. We know he's going to uh, come back. We talked about it. it's not really how, you know, it's not really about the losses, how you bounce back from those. And so we want to see him back. Can't wait to see uh, the improvement he does. I know he's going to be he's hungrier because he already has that, got that exposure, you know, that, that, that taste of, you know, the national stage. So hopefully yeah. he puts some string, uh, some, some wins together and bounces back. Yeah, and I like that they, you know, right right away they came out and posted stuff on Instagram. Yeah. Basically just kind of motivating themselves. Yeah. Right? His dad is in his corner, so they came out and just thanked everybody for the support. And, man, go back to the drawing board, man. That's what they all say, right? Yeah. Keep working. But it was a great opportunity, I would say. I mean, this is the type of exposure you can't you can't buy, man. Yeah, yeah. People can buy followers on Instagram, on yeah. Twitter, but that real exposure, real following, man, it, it's hard to, to, to get, man. Especially, I feel like in today's boxing climate, where not everybody gets that chance to fight on ESPN. So I, I thought it was a great opportunity that they couldn't pass upon. They took the fight on a one week, one week notice, yeah. basically like six days. So, mm -hmm. um, and he fought an undefeated fighter as well. But I mean, it was, it was I'm sure it was a great learning experience. So 
man, wish you guys wish you guys the best. Uh, Martinez boxing team, wish you guys the best with everything going forward. And we're gonna have Jose too on the podcast um, coming up shortly. We for still sure. got to schedule that. I think they're still out in Vegas, so um, we'll schedule that for you guys. And we'll be back soon, man. <coughs> So, yeah, st- stay tuned. We have another podcast today at 4 p.m., oh, correct? That's right. Man, we have right. a preschool teacher yeah. that teaches by day, and he's a fighter by night. Yeah. So this guy, he got – you want to talk a little bit about him, Gio? Yeah, so we're speaking about Gabriel Murataya, right? He's fighting out of the RGBA camp. He's uh, from around the area. He's from Fontana, California. And like uh, Chris said, uh, preschool teacher by day, knockout artist by night. Uh, he was featured in uh, last week's ESPN top rank card. Was it last week? I don't even I know what days or which, honestly. Mm-hmm. Today's Friday, I suppose, looking at my calendar. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he was featured on last week's ESPN card. Got a first-round knockout. He improved to 3-0, and I believe, as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, and he has three knockouts. So he's going to be joining us via Zoom as well. Um, I, don't, I think he just got back from Vegas. And last we heard is he went straight back to training. Um, they're looking for other fights as well, you know. And like Stitch said, they're kind of like the, uh, what do we describe it as? The, uh, they're like the blueprint yeah, of the how, blueprint, of how boxing's going to move forward. Yeah, so a lot of fighters who are looking for fights nowadays, man. And a lot of guys are staying ready. Gabriel is one of them. And he's already back in training, man, after his third win. Impressive knockout. So we're going to have him on 4 p.m. 4 p.m., guys. Yeah. So, yeah, stay tuned. Uh, it's an exciting moment in boxing. I, I like that we're getting fights Tuesday, Thursdays. You know, yeah. like, it's, this is, like, maybe uh, the, the, the good part of this whole thing, COVID-19, that's, that's going on. You get to see fights not just Saturdays, not just Sundays, but throughout the week. So, it's exciting. Exciting time. Yeah. Uh, making the most of it, uh, adjusting to this new boxing uh, yeah. realm. But, yeah, stay tuned, guys. Uh, thank you for joining us on the live feed. Chris, you know, Chalo, Derek, thank you for joining us. And, yeah, we'll be back at 4 p.m. Yeah, and no, Derek says uh, he enjoyed the fight. His nice. boat hat is fire. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's a staple, right? The trademark hat. But, um, yeah, we'll be back soon, guys. Go grab some lunch and join us, man. Should be a good one with Gabriel coming up soon. So what time is it in Cali right now? Also, over there, it's at 7 p.m. East, East Coast time? Yeah, right now is 1.30 p.m. So, and uh, that that uh, the, the next show is going to be at 4 p.m. here, 7 for you. Derek, so yeah, we'll be back, man. Doubling up, getting close to that uh, 100 mark. Hey, yeah, man. Thank you guys for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Make sure you guys are following us at Against DA Ropes on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we'll be back soon, literally, a couple hours. All right, <laughs> peace. Peace, guys. Thank you. Michael, you already know what's up.